This episode of the OrthoBullets Audio Review Podcast will be a question session reviewing several high-yield foot and ankle topics, including ankle sprains, Lisfranc injuries, and fifth metatarsal base fractures. The questions that will be reviewed appeared on the foot and ankle number two specialty exam on the OrthoBullets virtual curriculum. We will include a link in the show notes to take the exam if you have not done so already. The questions included in this episode will be reviewed by Dr. Ben Taylor, who is an orthopedic trauma surgeon at Ohio Health Grant Medical Center. Uh, next question, a 20-year-old male sustains a right ankle injury after landing awkwardly while catching a rebound in a basketball game. The next day, he has swelling and ecchymosis present about the lateral ankle. He has no effusion in the knee. His area of maximal tenderness is represented by the area of the white arrow in figure A. We take a look at figure A. We see the distal fibula is pointed out by the weight arrow, especially the anterior aspect. The examination demonstrated in figure B reveals two millimeter of ankle translation. And this shows the drawer test for the ankle. Figure C is not provocative for pain. And figure C is a syndesmotic squeeze test. Three view radiograph of the ankle is normal. What is the next most appropriate step in management? Uh, the choices are shown there. Some of these are therapeutic, some are di- diagnostic. So if we go to the topic, low ankle sprain, which has been tested 10 times over the last several years, we find out that the ankle sprains are generally from an injury to the ATFL as well as CFL. Uh, ligamentous anatomy of the ankle is very important and key to understand here. This diagram shows this very well and actually has uh, a small tear in the ATFL demonstrated by the red line here. The question here was looking at direct tenderness in this area on the anterior aspect of the distal fibula and this is directly, uh, the ATFL injury is directly responsible for that pain. So if we go back to that question, uh, what is the next most appropriate step in management? Number four would be the correct answer functional bracing and is needed in physical therapy. 79% of you got this correct. Uh, The next most common was a short leg cast followed by physical therapy. Uh, Lateral ligament uh, sprains of the ankle typically uh, present with variable amounts of swelling, ecchymosis, tenderness, and loss of function due to pain inhibition. ATFL is the most common ligament injured and uh, this is most commonly treated with uh, rest, ice, compression, and elevation, early weight bearing and range of motion uh, with use of a brace as needed uh, facilitates recovery rather than uh, non-weight bearing or immobilization. Next question. In the majority of patients, which of the following definitive treatments lead to a good or excellent one-year prognosis in the care of grade 3 sprains of the lateral ligaments of the ankle? Again, we go back to the low ankle sprain topic. If we scroll down to the bottom here, at the very top, non-operative management is favored in the vast, vast majority of low ankle sprains. Rest, ice, elevation, and compression, uh, minimizing swelling followed by therapy and early range of motion is indicated for treatment in the vast majority of these, as I mentioned. Uh, This uh, may require a short period of non-weight bearing due to pain inhibition as well as worsening of swelling but early mobilization does facilitate a better recovery. So if we go back to the question, uh, which of these leads to a good or excellent one-year prognosis in the care of grade three sprains? And if we look at this, we have drastically different answers, including surgical surgical repair of the ligament, all the way to early controlled mobilization. 
The nice thing about ankle sprains is that they all really do well. Studies show that about 75 to 100% of these have good to excellent results in the long term. So number five is the correct answer. Good or excellent outcomes can be expected regardless of which treatment above is provided. 54% of you got this correct. It's uh, somewhat of a tricky question due to this. The next most common was early controlled mobilization, which also uh, is important as I mentioned in the previous question. This is the most common treatment for this. But again, everything taken into uh, account, uh, there is some evidence. Canis et al. in the study in the very bottom of this screen uh, reviewed this at length and again found that no matter what we do, the results ultimately are about the same. Next question, a football player develops a synostosis between the distal tibia and fibula eight months following treatment for a high ankle sprain. What is the most appropriate indication and timing for surgical excision? So the high ankle sprain is a syndesmotic injury. And if we go to the topic, that's what this covers. This has been tested three times over the last several years. These aren't as common as the low ankle sprains we covered with the previous two questions but these injuries are most commonly associated with external rotation stress type injuries here and commonly are uh, found in conjunction with intraarticular injuries such as osteochondral injuries and even soft tissue injuries around the ankle such as ligamentous or even tendon type injuries. Missing these injuries uh, unfortunately is too common and uh, the instability about the syndesmosis can lead to end-stage ankle arthritis uh, unless this is uh, treated earlier. There are excellent functional outcomes if we treat the syndesmosis in an anatomic fashion. Uh, this question, however, covers the issues with uh, after treatment, what happens if a synostosis occurs? Synostosis would limit your dorsiflexion typically with uh, loss of motion, loss of the normal physiologic diastasis of the uh, syndesmosis with terminal dorsiflexion. This can be painful. Uh, we don't necessarily want any uptake on bone scan as this would indicate that continued uh, deposition or uh, maturation of the synostosis is occurring. So the correct answer to this would be number four. And the best indication for this would be a painful symptomatic um, issue that is ongoing despite conservative measures. And then we also want to make sure this is mature and that's what the bone scan is doing. So if we go to the next question here, which ligament connects the medial cuneiform to the base of the second metatarsal? This should be a reflex question. List frank injuries are very commonly tested. And if we go to the topic here, uh, we notice this has been covered 11 times, in fact, over the last several years. List frank injuries uh, are injuries that can vary significantly in the severity, but are essentially just are tarsal metatarsal fracture dislocations. The unifying factor of these injuries is that the TMT joint complex is disrupted here. This can be ligamentous, this can be a combination of ligamentous as well as bony issues, or it can be even a pure fracture pattern. Uh, not a very common fracture, but uh, these are very commonly high energy in nature. The other uh, flip side of this is you can have athletic injuries causing some of these, and uh, ultimately some of these may be even more subtle injuries. If we look at our ligaments here, this uh, figure actually depicts the ligament at question uh, in the previous question. So 
as you can see there, it says list frank ligament. So that's pretty easy. So that goes from the medial cuneiform to the base of the second metatarsal. So if we go back to this, which ligament connects the medial cuneiform to the base of the second metatarsal? We just saw the diagram of that. Thankfully, 99% of you got this correct. Uh, list frank ligament there. Uh, this is the largest and strongest interosseous ligament in the TMT joint complex. And let's go on to the next question. A 40-year-old male sustains a right foot injury after a head-on motor vehicle collision. He's unable to place weight on the foot to ambulate. Pain is exacerbated with abduction of the midfoot. He's neurovascular intact. A injury radiograph is shown in figure A. This does show a AP of the foot. You can see a significant gap right here as the medial and middle cuneiform have some diastasis as well as the base of the second which appears to be shifted laterally. A clinical image of the foot is shown in figure B. Here we see the telltale plantar ecchymosis. Seeing this should be a reflex for a Lisfranc injury although other foot injuries may cause this. In a testing situation this is most commonly due to a Lisfranc injury. What is the most appropriate next step in management? So if we go through our answer choices here, we have ORIF, we have arthrodesis, we have debridement of the foot. Um, so if we go back to our topic, hopefully this will let us figure this out. So we have a Lisfranc injury here, again, which is, uh, we saw the Lisfranc ligament in the previous question. Uh, this structure is obviously incompetent in this patient here. So as we continue down to the bottom of this, we start noticing that the indications for fixation, which has been tested four times, uh, show that any evidence of instability, which is greater than two millimeter shift as compared to the contralateral side, is an indication for fixation. ORIF is favored anytime there's a bony injury, anytime there's a fracture. Uh, the controversy really comes in where there's a purely ligamentous injury here outcomes have been shown to have a direct correlation to the relative uh, anatomic reduction. So the better reduction you have, the better your outcomes will be. So if we go back to our question here, what is the next uh, most appropriate st uh, step in management? We can see this appears to be more of a purely ligamentous injury here. So the question with the uh, ligamentous injuries has been uh, covered in previous uh, level one investigations, uh, arthrodesis of the medial two tarsometatarsal joints would be indicated with any stabilization of any surrounding joints uh, as found or uh, stressed in intraoperatively. Uh, this is somewhat controversial. You can see 49% of you got this correct in terms of you know, doing the arthrodesis. The next number was, uh, next most common was number three, which was 35% of you. The difference here is that this was the ORIF choice. Again, this is somewhat controversial. The only time arthrodesis typically is indicated in these testing situations is when it's a purely ligamentous injury. So if we go to the next question, as an alternative to open reduction and internal fixation for the injury pattern seen in figure A, what alternative treatment has been shown to be more effective? Again, we see a AP of a foot here. You have significant uh, lateral shift of the base of the second metatarsal. You also have some incongruity to the uh, first TMT joint. 
um, more than likely you have some instability about your uh, uh, middle column of your foot as well. Again, we didn't see any fractures to, the, to that uh, x-ray, so more than likely this question is trying to get at the same thing as the last one. However, we'll go back to the topic to uh, check this out as well. And as we continue to scroll down here to the bottom, the Lisfranc injury, again, a very common uh, tested topic. Primary arthrodesis here is indicated for purely ligamentous arch injuries here. The arthrodesis uh, generally is recommended for the first, second, and third tarsometatarsal joints, not necessarily the fourth and fifth TMT joints, which have more motion and allow better ambulation on uneven ground if these are not arthrodesed. The primary arthrodesis is the alternative to ORAF in patients with evidence of instability without any bony involvement. So if we go back to the question here, uh, what is an alternative treatment to ORIF of a Lisfranc injury? As we mentioned there and on the previous question, this would be open reduction and primary arthrodesis. And then difference between one and two is what columns are being involved. The lateral column, we don't uh, generally want arthrodes, so this really leaves only number one is our most appropriate answer here. The medial and middle column, the first, second, and third tarsal tarsal joints can be uh, arthrodesed here. The only other relative indication for this would be a uh, failure of fixation of one of these Lisfranc injuries or continued pain despite um, adequate uh, initial fixation and reduction. So next question here, a 25-year-old male sustains a left foot injury while playing soccer. His radiographs are shown in figures A and B. Which of the following techniques would lead to the best outcome when addressing his injury? So figure A, again this shows a second metatarsal base which is translated laterally you can see a significant gap in here indicative of the instability this small piece of bone right there uh, does appear to be the flex sign what happens here is this is actual avulsed fragment from the Lisfranc ligament and if we look at figure B we notice that there is some uh, incongruity with some dorsal translation of the base of the metatarsals as compared to the cuneiforms. Which of the following techniques would lead to the best outcome when addressing his injury? Again, we'll go back to the topic here. As you continue to go down, we'll go over the biomechanics this time. The Lisfranc complex is inherently stable. You have stable osseous architecture due to the keystone uh, configuration of the base of the second metatarsal. Uh, in the uh, mortise created by the medial and middle cuneiforms. You also have several strong ligamentous structures including the Lisfranc ligament which help hold these in position. Remember the Lisfranc ligament is an interosseous ligament that goes from the medial cuneiform to the base of the second metatarsal and this is on the plantar aspect. So going back to the, this question for this particular injury what will lead to the best outcome? You have a, uh, Lisfranc injury appears to have a flex sign. Remember, our, the amount of reduction uh, leads to better outcomes. So we know that cast immobilization, spanning X fix, percutaneous screw fixation, as well as K wire fixation probably aren't going to achieve that anatomic reduction we need here. So we can limit ourselves down to number five, which is ORIF, the medial column of the foot. So.
the uh, issues, as mentioned with the other modes of fixation, is that uh, some of these are not necessarily stable enough to treat these uh, traumatic injuries. The other issue with this is that you're not going to be not going to uh, obtain or be able to maintain a stable anatomic reduction. This will increase your rate of uh, post-traumatic arthrosis. So next question, uh, a 19-year-old college soccer player has been experiencing pain on the lateral border of her foot since the beginning of the season six weeks ago. A current radiograph is seen in figure A. Which of the following would be a risk factor for failure after operative fixation? So we have a soccer player, she's been playing too much, her foot's been hurting, continuing to hurt on the lateral aspect. Uh, X-ray here on the oblique uh, foot image does show a fracture along the base of the fifth metatarsal. So if we go to the topic here, the fifth metatarsal base, questions here have been covered five times over the last several years on examination. Um, this is a very common injury and the zones of this injury really help determine what your treatment will be. A zone one is a pro very proximal injury here, uh, rarely enters the fifth TMT joint. This is called a pseudo Jones fracture. Non-unions are very uncommon with these injuries. Um, the zone two is the true Jones fracture. These are along the metaphyseal diaphyseal junction when the fracture lines involve the fourth and fifth metatarsal articulation. Um, the bad thing about this is the fracture goes through a relative watershed area, so you have poor vascularity, which increases your rate of non-union. Whereas the zone three is a more proximal fracture, this is distal to the fourth, fifth metatarsal articulation. It's a can be thought of more as a proximal diaphyseal fracture. Very commonly, we see this in situations like the question mentioned uh, uh, previously. This is a stress fracture in athletes, and you do have an increased risk of non-union here. Here's kind of a fuzzy version of the same thing. Very similar to our question here. So if we go back to our question, uh, which is a risk fac factor for failure after operative fixation here? Uh, many of these you can rule out, but the uh, correct answer here would be uh, return to sport prior to radiographic union. These patients unfortunately are high stress and will continue to stress this area which is uh, relatively poor uh, vascularity and uh, unless this goes back to radiographic union, these players should not be allowed to return to full sport. Uh, the next most common here was use of a 4.5 millimeter screw. Uh, this would be correct if this was the 3.5 millimeter screw as increased rates of failure have been associated with this. And uh, I'm unaware of any uh, evidence to say number four would be correct either. Typically a solid screw has a stronger um, pull-out strength as well as a uh, bigger core diameter so failure rates theoretically should be improved with a solid screw as compared to a cannulated screw. That's all for this foot and ankle question review session. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets audio review, a daily podcast by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>